That's what the grace of God does for us. It raises the broken to life. Amen and amen. We'll be going to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans this morning. We're going to be in the sixth chapter. Um, Thank you, Chad. And I invite you to join me. The the words will be on the screen. If you would like to read along, you can listen as the scripture washes over us. um, Or you can follow along in your own Bibles. I see some of you have your Bibles here with you. I'm proud of you. Way to go. Bernie's points for you today. Extra lumber thrown up to heaven, the mansion in the sky. All right? That was a joke. Wasn't very funny. Um, I've done so much better about not forgetting to dismiss children for Children's Church. I can't believe I did that. I'm sorry. We're going to be in Romans. Here we go. Ready? Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We're finishing out a three-week series about the means of grace. It is the way in which we understand that God is offering grace to us. In our first week, we talked about Holy Communion, the Lord's Table what it means to experience this sacrament and what that sacrament is doing in and for our lives, how a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, an outward and visible sign, an outward sign, something you can see, something you can touch, something you can taste, of something that is going on inside of us, something that is spiritual, that we can't fully explain. It is mysterious. God's grace is at work. In our lives, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. That is how we understand sacraments. We also understand, though, that God's grace is not just limited to Holy Communion and baptism. This God's grace is working in our lives all the time. When we read scripture, when we sing worship songs, when we are in small groups, in community, when we are with our families. Last week, we talked about how our mothers are like God's grace in our lives, and those of us who, those who act like mothers, even without having biological children, you can still be like a mother and offering grace, God's grace. You can be a means of grace. Today, we're going to close out with the most, one of the most pragmatic sermons I think I've ever put together, a very practical sermon about baptism how we understand baptism, what is happening, what we just witnessed this morning, what we celebrated, and what it means for our lives. And so as we do that, I would like to talk about baptism through the how, what, when, where, who, and why of this holy sacrament. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said... Amen. It has been a holy morning already. I just feel the Holy Spirit moving, the energy. I mean, I was over here like tearing up, just, you know, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And it reminds me, you know, sometimes I get a little, a little, get a little too charismatic for, for, for some Methodist comfort. My, uh, my sisters and brothers sometimes uh, 
can be a little startled by my, my jumping around and my energy. I just believe sometimes the Holy Spirit just convicts us and you just can't keep it inside. Part of that might be because um, my sister and I are both pastors and the only other clergy within our family or um, church leaders was our great uncle, my grandmother's brother. Both my parents are only children, so my only uncle was Uncle Myrus, and he is a retired Assemblies of God pastor. And I spent a lot of time as a child going to some of his churches. He used to serve in Navarre, Florida. He served in Sarasota, Florida, Navarre, and now he's retired in Dothan and serves and, and preaches at any church that needs the, the help on the weekends. Um, but we would go to his church in Navarre, and we would experience some of the things like we experience in the Methodist church, but with a little different flavor, you know? Little di- some, some little different tendencies, right? Um, whenever we would do communion at their church, it was different the way that we did it, do it here and the way we did it at First Methodist in Dothan. I remember I was a child and I was sitting on the pews and they were gonna do communion. It was communion Sunday, and I think it was quarterly. And we were there on communion Sunday. And they passed out, like where they go line, row by row, and they passed out saltine crackers. And so I'm used to, you know, you get the bread and you eat it. You get the, or you dip it in the cup. So, you know, once you receive it. So I put the saltine in my mouth. Well, my cousin's husband like hit me on the back, like, mm-mm. And I'm like, what? He goes, wait. And so I spit the saltine out and I've got like gooey saltine in my hand. And I was like, what do you mean? And we all eat it together. We all wait. And so they, that's what they did. They waited till it was all passed out. And then we all ate the saltines together as part of the prayer. And then they passed out like the juice cups where you could like open the lid. And I, knew, I figured it out that time. I did not drink it early. And that was the way in which we experienced communion. And I also remember he used to do baptisms in his church also. But the way he did it was very different than what we just did. There was, instead of a screen right here, they had screens on the side, except at that time they were still like the uh, overhead projectors. It was pre-projector screens, you know, the transparencies. Lord, I let your name on high, those kind of things. So they would throw, and there was, a, there was a big baptismal pool right here in the middle above the stage. So the stage right here, screens. And like many of you might have seen this. Maybe you grew up in a church like this, where there's a, a, a pool, and all of a sudden, see, I was not prepared for this. All of a sudden, my, my uncle, Uncle Myers, he did like announcements and everything, and then he disappeared. And then all of a sudden, he walked out in a white robe and got in the water. And I was like, huh, what's going on? And then they, you know, they took people and they would baptize them by full immersion, which means they would, they would take an individual and they, he would dunk them in the water three times. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they would exit the other side of the pool and the next would come in. And I thought, that looks so cool. I want to do that. And so I asked my mom, I said, can I go up there with Uncle Myris and be baptized? And my mom told me, you've actually already been baptized. You don't have to do it again. So in our tradition as, as Wesleyans, as United Methodists, um, we don't have to be rebaptized when we join or go to another church because we believe baptism is the work of God. We can reaffirm our baptism, and you can do that through a very similar method. You can recommit your life to Christ. You can remember your baptism. But because baptism is the work of God, not the work of us as individuals, God's work doesn't have to be done twice. God's work was sufficient the first time. And that's what I mean by a pragmatic sermon this morning. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty details of baptism. We'll come back to why we don't do rebaptisms here in the United Methodist Church later on. But all that to say, baptism, Holy Communion, the sacraments, they are different in different traditions. And I wish I had time to go through like, all the different traditions and how we understand it, and depending on what church you go to. Um, but that would take us to about 1 o'clock. And um, I know that that's probably not what y'all came for today, for a sermon for an hour and 47 minutes. 
Um, so, so I will, as we go through this, refer to some of our, our comparisons, how, it, how we understand baptism. But I'm a United Methodist pastor. I understand baptism through the Wesleyan lens. I understand baptism as John Wesley taught it, understood it, and then we teach it in the United Methodist Church through scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, and how we understand baptism and what it means for the church universal and for our local church. And so as we begin, before we jump into the how, I just want to say what I'm not talking about. Sometimes we conflate the words about baptism and we say, well, we're having a baby dedication. A baby dedication is beautiful, but it's not what we did this morning for Matthew. A baby dedication is when you bring a child forward and you promise to be able to raise this child in Christian home, in a Christian church, and it's what the parents are doing. It's not about what the baby is doing or about what God is doing. It's a promise as the parents and as the church. We did a part of that by them recognizing by, by Todd and Christina of reaffirming their faith and that we celebrating that. But something else happened as well. It's also not just a christening. Sometimes christening is just kind of synonymous with baptism, but it's not quite the same thing. Christening accompanies baptism in some traditions. Baptism is the work God does, and christening is when we give the Christian name to the child. When we say this is the name for which this child will be known that might be different or might be unique for that Christian faith. We did not do a christening this morning. We experienced the sacrament of baptism. And so this is just unique. This is how our church understands these things. So the first is how. How do we baptize? We just, we, 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 I, I took some water this morning out of this bowl and I put it on Matthew's head and we believe that something beautiful and amazing was happening. But, but not all believe that it should just be sprinkled and not all practice. So my uncle did immersion. As Methodists, we believe that there's no one method for which you have to be baptized. You can be immersed, which is fully dunked under the water. You can be poured over, like with a shell, or you can be sprinkled. In a lot of Protestant traditions, sometimes we think that it has to be one way, but as Methodists, and as our Book of Discipline says, it can be done in many different ways. And actually, throughout Christian history, immersion has not always been the only way in which the church has understood baptism. I'm gonna, we're going to flip through a bunch of art pieces real fast. All of these are before the 16th century. And I have my dates up here in a sheet, but I left my sheet in my office. So all of these, we're just going to flip through them, pouring over. These are the baptisms of Jesus, where John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And they're all represented as a pouring, where Jesus is either standing on the bank of the Jordan or is in the Jordan. And I know it might be kind of hard to see because it washes out. If you can see, though, right here, you see he has a bowl and some has a shell. Jesus is standing on the bank of the Jordan. Sometimes he's in the Jordan itself. And there's a pouring happening. We can go through the rest of these. That might be the last one, actually. No, this is a mural in Ethiopia. This is, these are, this is one, of, one of the Renaissance paintings. This last one is by da Vinci. And they all represent Jesus either standing in or near the Jordan being poured over. So what I want to say is this. As Methodists, we don't think one version has to be the only way in which it is done. However, um, I would say that it is, it is good to remember that those of us who are baptized by sprinkling our baptism counts just as much as somebody who is immersed. And somebody who is immersed or poured, your baptism counts just as much as somebody who experienced it by a pastor pouring their water on the head. Christian tradition throughout all the centuries has had lots of conversation about this. Immersion came up as Matthew 3 says this. Matthew 3 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do not come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And it said, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
So this phrase, he went up out of the water, is where a lot of us think immersion might have come from or why immersion was being practiced with Jesus. However, there's plenty of traditions that think that that phrase, he came up out of the water, could have meant either he was standing in the water and walked out by being poured over because if there were thousands of people, it'd be hard for John to be constantly immersing in the water, immersing, that's the active verb of that, immersing. Um, And or it could be that Jesus, literally because it was on incline, walked out of the river and went up of the incline came out of the water or standing on the bank. I'm not telling you which version you have to believe or how you interpret that or what that necessarily means, but that is where a lot of us understand where immersion might have come from. And there's plenty of people who are Christian scholars who are historians who think that immersion was regularly practiced within the early church, but so too could have other forms of baptism. So that's the how. But what about the when, the where, and the who? These all kind of go together. Um, they go hand in hand because when, when somebody should be baptized, as far as the age in which that happens, it, it is different for different traditions. And for us, we just baptized Matthew, who is how, how many months, two months, three months? He's three months old. He's a beautiful three-month-old baby. And we believe that as a three-month-old, the baptism that happens in his life is beautiful and valid and sufficient as much as it is if I were to be, have never been baptized and come down for baptism today. Baptism can happen at any point in life. There are various forms in which this happens. As a child, we believe God's provenient grace is working through the parents, bringing the child to be baptized. As an adult, if you have not been baptized, you are still welcome to be baptized. We call that a profession, where you profess your faith publicly in Christ. You come and you be baptized. In various traditions, this is also considered to be the, um, the age of accountability, to where you can make that choice for yourself. Some traditions will not baptize infants because it is the belief that you should be able to own your baptism, be able to wait until you decide until you're ready to be baptized. That is the tradition that many of us might have been raised in. There's various traditions that that bring that forward. As Methodists, we think, though, that God's grace is working already in the life of that child, that God's grace is sufficient in working in and through the gift of baptism for infants as well. We think that the justifying grace of God is at work when this water is blessed and poured over this child. And that later in life, through confirmation, these children, if they are baptized as infants or as prior to sixth grade in our church, they can later then confirm, reaffirm that I accept my baptism fully. I want to live into this life of Christian faith and then become a professing member of the church. Our church has two different versions of membership. We have baptized membership, those who have not yet professed faith. Typically, that results in children who have not yet gone through confirmation. And then we have professing members, those who have been baptized and also profess their faith. So the the, the when, the where, and the who, these are all things that in our church, we, we think it can be when you are an infant, it can be when you are an adult. But the where, to me, is, is important. The where it happens. We, we don't do private baptisms, where it's just you know, the pastor and the two parents and the child, because we believe that a child is being baptized into a church family. One of my favorite things about our theology and about the way we practice baptism is that promise we all made a second ago, that we all affirm that we will help raise this child. Even though this child is moving to Houston, we are still gonna pray for Matthew. We're still gonna love Matthew. We're gonna offer Matthew a home when they come back to Mobile. We're gonna send cards and, and gifts and, well, I'm gonna try to send a gift. Just remind me, I might forget. But we are gonna continue. This child is part of our church family. 
And if they join a new church when they get to Houston, they are part of the church family universal and we will still continue. That is what we do. Baptism brings a person into the faith, into this family. And when that happens, we promise, hey, we're gonna help you raise your child. That's one of my, there's three babies baptized this morning and all of those are now part of our church family and is now on all of our accounts. It's now on all of us to help these parents raise these children. You promised me you would do that with August and you have. Whenever we baptize a child and we baptize an adult, we promise that we are gonna journey with you. Whether you're a parent who's bringing a baby to be baptized or you're an adult who's coming to be baptized yourself, we make a promise, we make a covenant. We say to you, we love you. Welcome to this church, and we want to be part of your family. We want to journey alongside of you. So baptism happens during your worship service. Now, the worship service doesn't have to be in this building. It could be at the beach whenever we do, if you do baptism in the water. It could be at a local pool. I've done a, I'm not joking about this. We did baptisms in a horse trough in Montgomery because the, the person being baptized wanted to be immersed, and we did not have a baptismal pool at our church. And so a local farmer had a brand new horse trough brought it to the church, and we used it for an immersion baptism. We did not do it during the worship service because we didn't bring the, the horse trough into the you know, worship space. But we had a separate, small, little worship service, and the community has to be there because you are part of the church. You're the ones who affirm these things. And so we give thanks that God is working in and through the life of the community, no matter the age in which we find ourselves, no matter what's going on um, in our church, we can all stop and celebrate the gift of baptism. But what about the what? The what? What is actually happening? What is going on when this baptism takes place? It's more than just some ritual, some rite of passage. What is actually going on when somebody is baptized as an adult or as an infant? What is, what is taking place? Well, remember that phrase, an outward, and an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. There's an outward and visible sign. There is this outward recognition that this child is being welcomed into the family. It's an initiation into Christianity. You do not have to be baptized to profess faith in Jesus, to be, to be part of, to believe in Jesus, to accept salvation. But to be a member of a church and to be a member of the United Methodist Church, you do have to be baptized. It is an, an initiation, a membership, an outward invisible sign that I'm committing to be, that we are committing our child or I myself am committing to be part of this church. But it's also an inward and spiritual grace. Baptism offers us that justifying grace that forgives us of our sins. When we say we are forgiven, we have to be forgiven a lot. I have to be forgiven a lot. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of grace. Baptism is that thing that brings us into the new life, that offers us justification, and that brings us fully into knowing the grace of God. Baptism cleanses us. The water is representation that we are sinful beings, that we are sinful people, but the water of Christ, the wa this baptismal water that God blesses, cleanses us of our sins, and God offers us forgiveness, and that we can touch this water and remember our baptism and ask for forgiveness again, and that God continues to forgive us, God continues to work in us, and that we are justified. We experience the regeneration into a new birth, a new life through baptism, through the water of baptism. And so I guess the last thing would be why. Why be baptized? Why do we practice baptism? Why do we come to the, why do we bring our children? Why do we ourselves? Is it just because we want to join the club? If we have to do that to get in, you know, then, then we got to go to Baptist so I can be part of the club. I think it's more than that. I hope it is more than that. Why we, we come here. Our scripture this morning from Romans says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning since the grace 
so that the grace may increase? No, 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 we're not gonna keep sinning because of this. Because we were baptized into Christ Jesus. And we were baptized into Christ's death. We come to baptism as a symbol of us dying to ourselves, sacrificing, surrendering ourselves to Christ. And in so doing, we are raised with Christ in the resurrection. Baptism helps us experience, allows for us to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we are resurrected people. We use that phrase, we're Easter people, we practice resurrection, we believe in the resurrection. It is because that we die to ourselves through baptism and because of Christ's resurrection and we are baptized into Christ's death, we are also resurrected into Christ's life. Baptism is a symbol of us releasing our control, of apologizing for our sins, of turning from our ways, of saying, God, not, not my will, but yours. Baptism is this outward symbol that says, I am not my own, I am yours. And in turn, we experience the internal forgiveness, the, the, the grace of God through the resurrection. We use these words all the time, grace, resurrection, death. Life. This, is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. This is where we experience it. This is where it comes real in our lives. So in conclusion, I'll say this last word and we'll, and we'll wrap up. I know this is very pragmatic. It's not as fun. It's not as many stories except spitting out saltines. But I think it's important for us to talk about these things, not because you ha- we have to be right compared to somebody else. There's a, there's a pretty you know, fast-moving train within Protestantism um, where we are being more ecumenical. We're being less denominational. And I don't think there's gonna be denominations in heaven. I'm gonna say that right now. I'm a United Methodist. I still don't think there's denominations in heaven. We are all Christians together. We celebrate in Jesus Christ, and I give thanks for that. In a number of ways, there's so many things about other traditions for which I give thanks, and I hope that we can incorporate into what we do, into how we understand Christ and how we worship here. And yet, too, it is my conviction that while we are not yet in the fullness of heaven, that we are human. And so we believe things and we do things, and I think what we believe affects the way we live our lives. What you believe will affect the way you live your life. So completely unrelated to baptism, if you believe God is vindictive, and judgmental and punitive, then you are likely to be vindictive, judgmental, and punitive. If you believe God is full of love and grace and compassion, you are likely to live a life full of love and grace and compassion. Our beliefs affect the way we live our lives. And to me, discerning the realities of these things is not so that I can know all things, so that I can lord it over everybody else and hey, everybody, look how smart I am. It's so that I can be drawn deeper into relationship with God. The more we search these things, the more we seek them, the more we understand them, the closer we are with God, with one another, and ourselves. And so I'm not here saying you have to believe this to go to church here. You, you don't. You, you, you can be part of this church. And many people who worship here have never joined this church. And we are grateful that we are in worship together. This is not me telling you there's going to be a test at the end of this. This is just what I believe, what our church teaches. And I invite you to consider it for yourselves. What does it mean to you to be baptized if you have not yet been? I would invite you that in the coming days and weeks, you consider if you have not been baptized, I would love to offer that for you. You can come down. I'll find a horse trough if you want to be immersed We'll go to the beach. We'll offer it a sprinkling or pouring, however you want. But if you have not been baptized, 
I pray you consider it. Because through this baptismal experience, through the waters of baptism, you are forgiven. You experience the grace of God. It is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for baptism. We remember our baptisms. We give thanks that we have been initiated into your church through baptism, that we've experienced forgiveness, that we have come to know you through baptism. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of those times when we forget that. Forgive us of those times when we have not listened to your will. Forgive us of those times when we have rebelled against your love. Forgive us of those times when we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, now and forever. And all God's people said, amen.